Well, here we are in the last week of Gatbo God of the Box Office 2021. Come on, how you have had a great four weeks? It's been amazing. Again, the reason we do this, if you're new here, maybe this is your first time and maybe it bothers you like, hey, what's with all this Hollywood stuff or movie stuff or secular stuff or secular songs? We do it because we believe we want to create an environment where people want to come and bring their friends and family because we believe if we can create an incredible experience, we believe that Jesus will show up and he'll do what no person can do and he will change hearts, he'll save souls, and come on, he will transform this world one person at a time. And that's what we're about. Week one, we always see this again. The goal is just to build momentum, to create a great environment that people want to come. Week one, between what we were averaging before to week one, we saw a 61% increase. That's why we do it is to get your friends and family here. So we want to encourage you, be a bringer, invite your friends and family to the house, and together we're going to see Jesus change the communities of North Alabama and Middle Tennessee. How many people's down for that? Gatbo 2021 Musical Edition. I'll be honest again, I, I love Gatbo, but it's been a little tough for me. Again, I'm not a musical guy. But I was, uh, I was pleasantly surprised. Week one, we talked about The Greatest Showman. Absolutely an incredible movie. Loved it 100%. We looked at some movies the last few weeks that kind of are just these all-time favorites. They've been around for uh, years and years. We looked at Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. We looked at The Wizard of Oz. Come on, a couple of faves on the, on the horizon. Today, I'm going to be honest. I just, can I just be honest? Just, just you and I, since it's just us. Um, high School Musical. I'm just going to be honest, I couldn't choke that movie down. <laughs> I had such a hard time. Again, I, pre, I plan, prepare, and pray literally months in advance for messages that I'm going to preach and knew this one was coming. In fact, in conversations around my strategy table with some of my team getting ready for this series specifically, we were talking about which movies we wanted to use. And uh, when High School Musical came up, anytime something is a musical and it's actually in the title, it's just going to be tough for me. So I waited until this week to watch this movie, and I just couldn't do it. Like, anybody else, anybody else here or in Lawrenceburg, were you raised in a household where you couldn't get up from the dinner table until you finished your green beans? And so I was a kid, it's 11 o'clock at night, and I still got to play the green beans. Like, that's how, like, the 11th hour, I'm like, I got to watch this movie. So the good news is I'm prayed up and prepared for what I believe Jesus has to say, but I just couldn't watch all the high school musicals. But I know some of you are big fans. It was a big movie. Where are my high school musical fans at? Florence, Lawrenceburg. How many people have never seen it before? And you'll probably never watch it. <laughs> Y'all are my people right there. But let me just tell you again, the reason we do this, the reason we look at movies is not for what movies have to share, but we take the movies that are popular in culture and we lean in to find out really what the spiritual principles are. Our goal is not for you to listen to a message. Anybody can do that. The goal of what we do here is for you to have an encounter in God's presence and for you to walk out of here hearing God's word to know how to apply it to your life. What does it look like in moral conflict? What does it look like raising kids? What does it look like in your marriage? What does it look like in your career or in your student journey to live for Jesus? We want you to walk out and live this thing out. That's why we try to be very, very practical. So this conversation in this movie on High School Musical, if you've not seen it, just quick recap, is basically this. It's about a, uh, an athletic boy that shows up at this high school and connects with the academic girl, and they both decide to go get involved in the musical, and it brings this disruption to the social order of this high school. Now, here's why I like the movie, because I could relate, and I'd get it, I'm kind of starting to be the old guy in the room, but the high school I grew up in was very cliquish. 
Now, I know things have changed, but in the high school I grew up in, and I need some of you to show me some love so I know I'm not alone, there were basically four cliques that you could belong to. Like, there was four cliques, and you kind of had to find your way and fit in. There were the jocks. Come on, where, where am I? If you were a jock in high school, wave at me. Come on, if your memories are greater than reality, wave at me. Come on, like, and it's, it's guys and girls, softball, football, golf, basketball. Like, there were the jocks. There were the people, like, that's what they did. They wore the Letterman jackets. I know those were out now, but they were in when I was in high school. So number one, there were the jocks. Number two, there were the, we, I called them the preps. The preps were like, you know, they were the kids with the pop collars and the, you know, like, they were the kids in all the high classes, all the smart good boys and girls. Where were my preps at? You were prep. Come on, no shame in the game. You can't be both. I mean, stop it. <laughs> Okay, I'm not getting a lot of participation. Lawrenceburg, I need you to raise your hands. I'm just saying the last two, it's all downhill from here. Too late, you can't get on the first two. So we had the jocks, we had the preps, we had the band nerds. That's what we called them. No, no, no offense, don't be mad at me. This is what we called them. Where are my band nerds at? No, come on, you ain't. I'm gonna have some ushers remove you if you keep up. And the last but not least were the burnouts. Come on. Come on, some of, you, some of you, that's why you needed Jesus because of high school. So those were the four, right? Those were kind of the four categories. Like maybe you're wondering like, where did I fit in? I didn't really fit in anywhere. Um, I got along with everybody. I, I really, I, I partied too much to be a jock. Uh, I was involved in too many AP classes to be a burnout. And, um, and I partied too much to, to really be a prep. So I kind, of, I kind of fit in all the scenes. But here's what's crazy as you look at the four. And I got to say it like, so I grew up in the Breakfast Club generation. Forget high school musical. Let's talk about the Breakfast Club today. Where are my Breakfast Club people at? Now, here's what's crazy is each of those kind of four clicks, it was so clear when you spotted them based on how they walked, how they talked, how they dressed, how they carried themselves. You could always pretty easily tell who fit in which clique until Friday night came. Now, everybody loves Friday night lights because no matter what of the four sides you fell on, whether, again, you were a jock, a prep, whether you were a band nerd, or whether you were a burnout, when it came Friday night, we all came underneath the banner of our high school. And you would show up on a Friday night, and my Friday nights were lit. Here's why. Because everybody laid down their personal cliques for the cause of the high school because you had the jocks on the field. Come on, you had the band nerds down on the end zone rocking out drumline Friday night. You had all the preppy kids popping collars, wearing colors in the stands, and the burnouts were under the stands. But come on, they were there. <laughs> and they all kind of laid it down. And come on, we, we were one voice. And where I grew up, come on, when the drumline hit, it was go, Orientals, go, go. I know it's not politically correct anymore, but East High Orientals, that was the school I went to. <laughs> But come on, everybody would sing, go Orientals. I mean, it was just the thing. Like we became one kind of movement in the moment. Here's what I want you to know today is something powerful happens when we trade clicks for community. Like this whole school, like we surrender our individual tribes for the banner of East High Orientals. And we just don't see that in high school ball, right? We're getting ready to move into to college season. Anybody excited about college football? And there's something powerful about walking into a stadium, a college stadium on game day. Why? Because when you walk into the stadium, you don't see color. You don't see money. You don't see political leanings. You see one team in a fan base. Come on, you see Roll Tide. 
Come on, you see Roar Lions. You see Go Vols. Come on, you see War Eagle and you see Go Buckeyes. Come on, you see everybody. Sir, Come on, well, listen, listen, listen. If I didn't say your college, I only have so much time. Don't email me. You didn't say my school. Get over it. But come on, listen, listen, listen. Every, everybody has their political leanings and their stances and their positions and their cliques. But something powerful happens. Something profound happens when people trade their cliques for community. Now, what, what would happen, and I would say this way, what should happen if that same principle that takes place on Friday night lights in high school football, on college game day, what would happen if that same thing took place in the house of God, where we laid down our personal cliques and came in or come underneath the banner of Christ? The reason this is so important is because, I don't know if you know this, we are currently living in a season and a generation where there is lots and lots and lots of division. And I want you to hear this today. As your pastor, you need to hear this. This world wants you to pledge allegiance to cliques. We are called to pledge allegiance to Christ. This world is going to try to pull you into their cause and pull you into their passion and pull you into what they stand for. And I'm not telling you you can't have a position. I'm not here to tell you you can't have a passion. What I'm here to tell you is all of your passions, all of your cliques, and all of your causes, when you come to Jesus, they are all underneath the banner of Christ. And when we elevate our cliques and causes above Christ, that's where division and disunity gets in the house. And so it's a big deal. In fact, it's such a big deal that the Apostle Paul spends some time and he talks about this conversation of disunity and division. And in, we're going to lean into this, this conversation, first chapter of Corinthians, chapter one. And I want you to listen to what the Apostle Paul says. Watch this. He says, verse 10, he says, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ to live in harmony with each other. Now, I don't know if you noticed the words he opens with, but he's like, I plead with you. Come on, Lawrenceburg, I beg you. Come on, Faith Church, please, will you live in harmony? Now, you don't have to plead for what's present, right? I mean, if, if your kids are brushing their teeth, you don't have to tell them to brush their teeth. If, you're, if your kids are making the bed, you don't have to tell them to make their bed. Come on, wives, if your husband's remembering the anniversary, you don't have to, you don't have to sit down like and send out subtle reminders. You only have to plead for what's not present. So the fact that the Apostle Paul is saying, please, will you, will you be unified? Will you be, will you be just like one voice and one heart? Tells us that it wasn't present, which is why he's spending time in this portion addressing it. He goes on, he says, let there be no divisions in the church, no schisms, no, no place where we're separate. And he says this, rather be of one mind, every voice, Lawrenceburg, Florence, every voice, read this with me, rather be of one mind, united in and now the other 80%, I need you to get on board. This is a spectator or participator, not spectator sport. Come on. Rather be of one mind united in and all the women united in men. So this is what I want you to gather under. Why? Because there was some division. This is so crazy. It almost feels petty, but there was some division in the first century church, which for a minute I find kind of crazy because on one hand, it feels like, does anybody else sense the division in our culture? Just so I know I'm talking to my people. Anybody else feel what I feel and sense what I sense? On one hand, what we're experiencing is not, it's not novel. It's not unique to our generation. Division and disunity has been around for at least 2,000 years because the Apostle Paul had to address it all the way back in the first century. So this is not a new problem. But you know, on the flip side of that, I almost feel like 
You think in 2,000 years we would figure this thing out because here we are 2,000 years later and we're still struggling with disunity and division, which means this word is for us as much as it was for them that we need to allow no divisions among us. We need to have no schisms, no separations, no personal causes over the banner of Christ. We need to be one body, one voice, one heart, one cause, and it's Jesus. Come on, somebody. So notice what the problem was in the first century church. Again, it feels kind of weird, but here was what it was. He says, for some members of Chloe's house, so this is the tattletale, by the way, for some members of Chloe's house have told me about your quarrels, my dear brothers and sisters. Some of you are saying, I'm a follower of Paul. Others are saying, I follow Apollos or I follow Peter, or some are saying, I only follow Christ. So here's, here's where the division was. This is crazy. Everybody had their, their personal favorite pastor. And I get it. In a church this large, some of you have never met me, never shook me. Some of you here love me, but you don't know Pastor Adam. Some of you are here for Pastor Adam, but you don't really care for me. Or you're here because you connect with Pastor Chili, but you don't really know Pastor Ryan, right? Some of you love Pastor Ronnie, but don't, you know, but here's, it's okay if you have a personal preference, but it became so problematic that come in church services, like everybody's got their shirt on. I love Pastor Steve (laughs) or not. I don't know. But some people are holding signs. I love Pastor Adam. I love Pastor Chili. And it became such an issue that they started to debate and become divided. And when they showed up in church, there was the Pastor Adam section, the Pastor Chili section. Then they started fighting. All of a sudden, what became priority, Jesus, all of a sudden become a non-conversation. See, again, there's nothing wrong with having passions and positions, cliques and causes. But when it's elevated over the cause of Christ, we've missed our purpose of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. When we're talking more about our personal passions rather than and winning lost people and building believers, we have lost our way in a world that's divided and it has to stop at the doorway, not of a building, but of the hearts of believers. Come on. There's no room for schisms and disunity and division. And then he asks these rhetorical questions. I love a good rhetorical question. He says, in light of this division, has Christ been divided into factions? Again, he's telling us this picture that we are one. I know you see individuals, but he says, no, we, we, are, we are a body, one body. We're the body of Christ. In the same way, physically, Jesus wasn't dissected into multiple pieces. We can't be. If you are part of Jesus, you're part of one body. And then he asks a second, I think even better rhetorical question. He says, was I, Paul, crucified for you? Were any of you baptized in the name of Paul? Of course not. He's again asking this rhetorical question. He's saying, while it's okay again to have your personal pet peeves, passions, etc., he's saying only one deserves your allegiance because only one died for you. Only one came for you and only one was crucified for you. So in this world where people are putting their passions and causes in front of you, forcing you to pick sides, you have to decide the one who gets my allegiance is the only one who died for me. Paul didn't die for me. Environmentalism didn't die for me. Biden didn't die for me. Trump didn't die for me. I wish y'all would help me today. Only Jesus died for me. I'm team Jesus. And that's why, that's why the apostle Paul, he goes on later in the book of Galatians and he writes this. I love it. Watch this. He says, Galatians 3.28, he says, there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for we are all, everybody say it, for we are all, for we are all, come on, Lawrenceburg, for we are all one 
in Christ Jesus. I want you to notice it's kind of crazy when you read this because we look at it and we don't talk in context of Jew or Gentile today. We don't talk in context really of slave and free today, but this is just as relevant today as it was 2,000 years ago, and here's why. See, when, when Paul said there's no longer Jew or Gentile, on one hand, he's maybe talking about nationality. And it don't matter where you're born. I want you to hear this. Every one of us in this room, Lawrence, we're watching online, we all have a sin problem and a savior solution. It doesn't matter where you're born, what side of the tracks, what nationality, it does not matter. We are all in need of a savior because we all have a sin problem. Let's go, somebody. But you can flip the other side because the, the original language, see, there's Jews, God's chosen people, and everybody else. But the original word is Greeks because they were the primary population of the Roman Empire. Jews are Greeks. I love it because he's almost hinting what we see in our culture today, that it's either the Jews who are religious or the Greeks who are philosophical. What side are you on? Are you religious or are you philosophical? Are you faith or are you science? Come on, somebody. See, and it feels like we have to pick, and when you start picking, you start getting divided. Are you slave or free? In our context, he's talking about this socioeconomic status. Are you rich or are you poor? And we feel like if you're, if you're rich, we look down at the one percenters and you need to share more, you need to give more, you need to pay more tax. And if you don't, we hate you. And if you're on this side, we hate you. And like I already paid my fair share. And there's this division that builds up. And I'm just telling you, no matter what you have in your bank account or don't have in your bank account, regardless of where you were born, regardless of whether you stand in, in spirituality or philosophical, we all have a sin problem. And we all have a savior solution. See, what he's saying is all of these things that this world wants us to pick a stance on. Pick a stance. Pick your nationality pride. Pick your political position. Pick where you stand on this subject of sexual identity. Pick a side. He's saying when you're picking those sides, you're missing the point of coming to Christ because when you come to Christ, all of those lines become blurred because we all become one, Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or free and female. We are all now, come on, say it, one in Christ Jesus, I want you to hear this. Our cliques are subject to Christ. Your personal clique and your personal cause and your personal passion and your personal pet peeve and the stuff you're posting about and the stuff you're tweeting about and the stuff that you're not afraid to say, but you know you're thinking about it. He's saying all that stuff. He's saying it all comes underneath the banner of Jesus. Come on, we subject our sexuality to our Savior. Come on, somebody. We subject our financial status to our faith. We subject color to our Christianity. We subject our politics to our high priest and we subject our mass position to our maker. You better hear me today, somebody. It all comes underneath the banner of Jesus. I'm not saying you can't have, again, a position. In fact, the beautiful thing about our faith is our faith should inform all of those issues. Our faith should speak to all the things that are happening in culture. But when you stand so hard on your political position that it causes you to divide from another Christian, you've missed the mark and you're outside of unity. And Paul's saying, it should not be. It should not be. Now, here's what's crazy. I don't know if you've noticed this, but, but when you start talking about disunity, when you start talking about division, you know, you can, division, you can make it sound very spiritual if you want to. You can make division very reasonable. Let me give you an example. Anybody remember the story where Jesus, the whole time Jesus was in his ministry, he kept reminding the disciples, Here's, I didn't come to work miracles. I work miracles, but that's, why not, that's not why I'm here. I'm gonna teach, but that's not my primary purpose. Jesus made it clear out of the gate, the reason he came was to die for the sin of the world. That's why he came. 
And so he's telling his disciples this, but the time came and Jesus finally laid it down. He said, listen, it's time to go to Jerusalem because I'm coming to lay my life down. And I don't know if anybody remembers the story, but remember Peter jumps in his path. He says, Jesus, no way, man, I forbid it. You can't go because we can't lose you. And remember what Jesus said? Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Now I'm telling you, I'm just telling you, Peter could have made a whole political position about, hey, rescue the Messiah, save Jesus. He could have had t-shirts printed up and he could have convinced a lot of people, hey, come on, we can't let Jesus die. We love Jesus. He could have made that whole thing. Come on, you can make division sound spiritual and reasonable if you want to, but just because you make it sound reasonable, it's still the devil. He said, you better get behind me, Satan, because the mission needs to happen. And we're living in a time and we're living in a season where political voices and chatter and camps and positions that many of us in this room and many of us in Lawrenceburg are jumping on the bandwagon of, and we are doing it at the cost of the reason Christ came. I wish there was unity. Unity is so profound and so powerful. It's what Jesus wrote about. In fact, it's one of the things, there's only two prayers recorded in the gospels that Jesus prayed We know he prayed a lot, but kind of we get this inside feeling. What was Jesus praying about? One of the first things we know Jesus prayed about was submission. Anybody here got a bad attitude, needs some submission? Come on, anybody proud, not humble? Come on, I'm I'm up there. Anybody here needs some submission in their life? Wave at me. Jesus said, I need some. If he needed some, you need some too. Some of you too rebellious to lift your hand. It's all right. I'll lift two for you. We're going to do this thing today, people. It's going down today. The second thing Jesus prayed for is found in in, uh, John chapter 17. I want you to listen. Listen to what Jesus prays for. He says, I've given them glory. So Jesus is praying to the Father. He says, I've given them the glory that you gave me so they may be one as we are one. Think about all the things Jesus could have prayed for for his disciples. He's praying for his disciples then and his disciples for all time. He's praying for us. Jesus could have prayed for blessings. Lord, pray me in a bigger house, a better job, and a better looking man. Come on, somebody. Jesus Jesus knew his disciples were going to be persecuted. He could have prayed for peace. He could have prayed for protection. Out of all the things Jesus could have prayed for, you know what he prayed for? Unity. He prayed for unity. And he says this, why? Out of all the things he could pray for, why did he pray for unity? Well, he says this in the next verse. Watch this, verse 23. He says, I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that, everybody shout that word, that. This is the reason Jesus is saying they need to have unity. I want them to have unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Why does Jesus want us to have unity? So the world can know. Is, is, come on, somebody. Division disrupts the mission. As long as there's division in the house, the mission we have to make Jesus known to this world is lost. As long as we're fighting about our position, as long as we're raising up our clique over the cause of Christ, this world will not hear our message that Jesus came to be the savior of the world. He loves all lost people all everywhere. Come on, somebody. And so Jesus is saying, man, this, this is what I want for you. I want unity because... If, if you have division, you can't fulfill the mission. What's, what's the mission? What's the mission? Our mission is worshiping together and working together. Come on, somebody. I don't know about you, but 
all the COVID, we was out and looked like we was going to have to get back out. I was watching online, but there is nothing like coming together with the body believers, lifting our voice in one place, one location, to one name, Jesus. Come on. There's nothing like it. But I'm about to tell you right now, come on, you can't worship right when you got some hate in your heart, especially when that person's standing beside you. If you got a problem with people of color, you got a problem with people of financial means or no means, or you got a problem with whatever, listen, when you got that kind of stuff in your heart, it will disrupt the mission of the church that we worship together. You know how I know it? Because I had some junk up in my heart and it kept me from worshiping. When I first started going to church, some of you guys have heard me talk about this a lot in my journey. But again, I, I, I met my wife at a dance, a dude bailed out last minute, was supposed to take her, didn't take her, so I got her, and now she's mine. <laughs> That's right. I punked that dude. So this cat, his name was Lonnie. He went to the same church my wife went to. So when we started dating in high school, I had to go to church. I told you all that before. So I had to go to church. So this dude had an issue with me because I took his girlfriend, and I had an issue with him because I just had a bad attitude in high school and I had an issue with everybody. And so, listen, I, I try, I think hypocrisy is a really bad thing. So I was the same way in the church as I was in the world. And now I'm a Christ follower. I'm the same way in the world as I am in the church. So listen, you better get the same thing no matter where you're at. So if I was willing to fight in the world, I was ready to throw down the church. Let's go. <laughs> and so this dude would always mean mug me. And I, so in, in church, it was funny, man, because we would go Sunday morning, Wednesday night. I was 17 when I got saved. So Wednesday night, we were in youth group and everybody's worshiping. We were singing songs back then. Some remember that. As the deer panteth for the water, so my soul long after you. And every, all the youth groups worshiping, but you know who wasn't worshiping? Me, because I'm like, man, I'm going to kill that dude when we get up out of here. Don't let me. Oh, Jesus, please. Lord, let me catch him in the parking lot. Please, Jesus. Come on. I would. You can't worship when you got hate in your heart. When you're divided, you can't, have, you can't have one voice going up, lifting up the mighty name of Jesus. We are called to worship together, and we can't do it divided. Division compromises the mission. And we can't work together. Come on, we can't work together. You know we're called to work while it's light. Night's coming. There's the time coming where people can't get saved anymore. So we're going to show up and serve, and we're going to be guest services, and we're going to love our kids, and we're going to champion our youth, and we're going to produce amazing services, and we're going to have killer worship. We're going to create incredible environments in Lawrenceburg and in Florence so people can come, so we set the table for the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit to change the lives and hearts of people. Come on. But you won't work with people you don't like. I tell my, I've told my kids before, you know, they would come home, they would have their little part-time jobs or whatever, and they'd come home and say, Dad, I'm, I'm working with this person, I don't really like them, and she gets on my nerves, and he gets on my nerves. And, and this, is a, this is what I would tell them. I'd say, listen, why, why do you have that job? Well, because I need money. I said, well, then you're not there for a friendship. There, you're, you're there for a paycheck. See, I'm just here to tell somebody, whatever your mission is, keep your eye on your mission, not the other stuff. I said, all the, all the drama is just a distraction. Keep your eye on the mission. You're there to get a paycheck. You're not there for friendships. But it's different in the body of Christ. We need friendships to fulfill the mission because we can't do it if we're divided. We got to do it together. I'm telling you, disunity disrupts the mission. Division disrupts the mission. As long as we are allowing our personal, political, and passionate stances to keep us divided, we can't do what Jesus sent us to do, and that's to make his name known. Can't do it. 
see, this is how you know what's happening, not just in the world, but what's easy. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody, anybody feel the disunity and the disruption and the division? This is how you know it's not scientific or sociological. This is how you know it's spiritual because it keeps disrupting the mission. We can't do what Jesus called us to do because everybody keeps on picking sides. Some of you may be seeing, I, I kind of wrestle with whether I wanted to bring this up or not because on one hand, I don't want to draw more attention to it, but on the other hand, I want to drag it out into the light. Some of you maybe saw my post on, on Facebook where I just had to just kind of put it out there. I can't tell you how much shade we get from other churches. You know, they're all, they're, they don't preach the word. They're all showy. They don't love Jesus. They got, they're the church with the cafe. They're, they won't never name us, but they're always throwing, they're the church with the cafe. They got the lights and haze. They got the big LED walls. And here's the problem with it. Finally, I saw enough, and it wasn't just one pastor. Everybody's like, would you? No, it's, I'm telling you, if you all saw the ridiculousness I see on a regular basis, and finally, I just called that junk out. Do you know why? Because as long as we're picking at each other, it doesn't matter if you're Methodist or Episcopalian or Lutheran or Catholic, as long as you love Jesus, your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You are called to a mission for us to worship together and work together. And as long as we're bickering with one another and elevating one over the other, we can't be about our Father's business. I am tired of people choosing. Come on, it is so ridiculous. This has become a spiritual issue so much. So listen, here's how you know, because no matter what side you pick, you lose. Come on, if, 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 if you're for a mask and for a vaccination, then you don't have faith. And come on, but if you don't have it, then you don't love your neighbor. If you're for black people, you're not for white people. If you're for uh, blue lives matter, you're not for all that. And it's like, you gotta pick one side or the other. And anytime you stand on one side, all of a sudden you alienate the other side. There are no sides. We are all one in Christ. There's no white or black. Come on, we are all one in Christ. There's not rich or poor, we're all one in Christ. There's not Jew or Greek. There's not slave or free. There's not male or female. Come on, somebody. And it just, it just, it's just a spiritual attack. Pick a side. What side do we pick? Are we for LGBTQ people or are we against them? Oh, it got quiet up in here. <laughs> See, because if you're for them, you're against holiness and God's for holiness. If you're, if you're, but if you're against them, now you're not compassionate and you don't love people. See, this is what the devil's done is he's made you pick sides and whatever side you pick is a losing side. But the problem is we just keep picking we just keep choosing. And Paul's saying, listen, again, all of our faith should inform all of those decisions. But when you stand on your soapbox and you declare your position over your submission to Christ, you are creating and causing disunity and you're making us miss the mission of making Jesus known. Come on. We cannot win if we are not one. We can't win. We can't do it. Unity is mission priority. We have to be one. We have to be one. If you want to talk, talk about Jesus. If you're going to post, post about Jesus. If anybody follows me on social media, and I get shade for this, Pastor, you're not political enough. Yep, that's right. Do you know why? Because I, I have worked too hard, prayed too long, and God's given me too much favor to compromise my leverage with people because of one post they take out of context and they've not heard anything else I say. Until you have the privilege to know my heart, don't take me out of context on a post on social media. So I choose to avoid all that. Do you know why? If I'm going to post, I'm going to post Jesus because he's the one who can fix the white, black, blue, red, brown. He's the one who can fix the LGBTQ and all the issues we have. He's the one who can fix Republican or Democrat. Come on, are y'all hearing me? Listen to me. Something's got to change in this world and we keep getting sucked into it. And so 
Jesus, he goes on and he has this conversation. I want us just for the last few minutes, I want us to, I want us to really lean into this. It's kind of a hot topic, right? I mean, Jesus talks about the end times. If you want to fill a church up, announce you're talking about sex, money, or the end times. Everybody wants to talk about sex and money. They just don't want to admit it personally. It's like, I got a friend that's got some questions. I know somebody. But everybody wants to know, listen, you don't have to love Jesus, but you start talking about the end times. You start talking about the book of Revelation and everybody will show up. Jesus engages, everybody listen, Jesus engages in this conversation and he says some things that are so profound and so practical. I don't want you to miss it. Jesus starts talking about the end times. Let me just say this side note real quick. The last days, that term, the end of time, last days is, is, is a term you find throughout scripture. People are always wondering, when are the last days? Jesus said on the day of Pentecost, we're getting ready, anticipating the day of Pentecost, after his death and resurrection, he quoted Joel in anticipation of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And he said this, in Joel, the prophecy was fulfilled. In the last days, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Jesus was saying, this is the beginning of the last days, which means we've been living in the last days since the time of Christ until now. All I know is I believe we're living in the last of the last days. Come on, I believe my king is coming quick and I'm ready. Y'all ready? So, so Jesus, his disciples are like, Jesus, tell us, like, when are you coming back? When is the culmination of the kingdom? When are the end of times? And he says this. This is the question. What sign will signal your return in the end of the world? Tell us how we know the end is coming. I want you to notice what Jesus says. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. Now stop. Jesus says, this is how you know when it's really gone downhill. This is how you know when I'm about to come back. Are you ready? Here are the signs. First thing he says is, he says, nation will rise against nation. If you look at the original Greek, the word nation is the Greek word ethnos, where we get our word ethnicity. What he's saying is, you're going to know I'm about to come back when this world turns upside down, when ethnicity starts rising up against ethnicity, when it starts being about black against white, against red, against blue, against green, against whatever color, when you start feeling tension between the races, that's how you know it's about to go down. Oh, come on. Y'all don't see what I see happening in culture. Y'all better pay attention. The problem isn't happening in culture. The problem is it's happening in the church. There's no place for racial division when we're all one. Watch. Watch. And he says, and kingdom will rise against kingdom. This would be the traditional word we would think of nation. It literally means sovereign. Kingdom against kingdom. We're seeing wars, and they've always, but we're seeing wars on the, on the, on the global landscape. So he's saying, when you, see, when you see ethnicity rise against ethnicity, when you see wars breaking out, go back to that verse, please. Go back to it. Just leave it on here for a second. He goes on, he says this. He says, and you're going to see famines and you're going to see pestilences. You know what the word pestilence means? Global diseases. Gee, I wonder, if, are we seeing any global diseases? Hmm, any? I oh, can't really think of any, but I mean. And he says this, Earthquakes. Almost feels like maybe he's talking about some environmental stuff. And come on, I'm just telling you, everybody in this room, you got a position on ethnicity. You got a position on nationalism. 
Oh, don't make me start talking about nationalism. Because you're going to try, try to figure me out. I, some of you I got in your head. Come on, Lawrence, are you trying to figure? What side is he on? Is he for Blue Lives Matter? Is he for Black Lives Matter? Is he, he's, uh, is he for Trump or Biden? There's nothing wrong with nationalism. But when your flag and your banner is this nation over Christ, you have miselevated the wrong principle and priority. All of our cliques and causes are subject to the banner of Christ. It's not Trump first or Biden first or whoever first. It's Jesus first. It's not white first or black first or red first. It's Jesus first. It's not rich first or poor first. It's Jesus first. It's not gay straight. It's Jesus first. It is Jesus first. All I know is when we come to Christ, we all come with a heart of repentance. We all need a Savior, and Jesus is the solution to being our Savior. Come on, we all become one in him because we all need him, so we all preach him. Come on, the mission is priority one, and division us and compromises the mission. This is how you know the end is near. It gets worse. He says this, and he says, and many, Lord help us, and many will turn away from me and betray each other. Now, I don't know if you picked it up. See, Jesus isn't talking about what's happening in the world. He's talking about what's happening because you can't turn away from Jesus unless you first were facing Jesus. So what he's saying is there's going to be a group of people, there's going to be a body of people that were focused on me and they were focused on unity and they were focused on the mission, but all of a sudden they started listening to the political landscape and CNN and Fox News and they started listening to the world and they started posting and all of a sudden instead of focusing on me, they started focusing on their personal cliques and causes of, uh, of environmentalism and nationalism and racism. They started focusing on their little pony show instead of focusing on me. And when you start turning away from Christ, you turn away from the source of love and you start to lose your love, which means why? we betray each other and we start to hate each other y'all don't have to help me it's all right division is distraction you know what the word division means that y'all get this is free you ain't even got to pay for this college class or nothing you can audit this one for free division i was curious like by the prefix by means two well die means two i was like well buy or die how come there's two well this is free right here die is greek and by is latin but division literally means two visions. Well, unless you got a lazy eye, how are you going to look two different directions? Oh, I didn't even mean to go there. I'm sorry. <laughs> hey, don't laugh. They can't help it. They love Jesus. Jesus loves them too. He's saying, listen, you, you can't look two directions at once. Faith Church, we have to decide what direction will we look. And either we will look horizontally at the political and national and sexual landscape and take our cues from culture, or we will look vertically to Christ and take our cues from him. But when you stop looking at him and you turn away, you will betray each other and you'll begin to hate one another. And so he goes on, he says this, and sin will be rampant everywhere. And the love of many will grow cold. But he endures to the end, will be saved. Let me ask you a question. When Jesus lays out the signs of his coming, the signs of the end days, and then he says, but if you endure it, you'll be saved. Endure what? Endure what? He's saying, if you'll stand the tide of disunity that's pushing up into the house, that's how I know who my people are, where you choose the cause of Christ over your personal clique. If you'll endure the voice of the political landscape, if you'll push back 
against the message of environmentalism. If you'll take your stand on the kingdom of God and not national pride, if you'll stand for the body of Christ and not individual color believers, if you'll pick me over this world, if you'll endure to the end, you'll be saved. We are facing a tidal wave of disunity like never before. And it's not up to us to help what the world does. But when you come to Jesus, you're saying, that's my banner. I'm not a burnout. I'm not a prep. I'm not a jock. And I'm not a band nerd. I'm underneath the banner of Jesus. I'm not a white person, a black person, a rich person, a poor person. I'm not an environmentalist where I don't care about my carbon footprint. I am a follower of Jesus. He sets our marching orders. He determines our mission. And we refuse for division to stop the mission of reaching together, working together, worshiping together, because we want to do all we can to crowd heaven because Jesus is coming soon. How many people with me? I'm, I'm three minutes over, but I want you to do one more thing before we go. I want everybody in this room, I want you just to take a minute and I want you to look around. Look around at somebody that's not sitting next to you. Maybe they're not dressed like you. Maybe they don't look like you. Just get an eye on somebody that's not your people, not your tribe, not your clique. Let me ask you a question. Why are you here today? Why are you here Why are you in Lawrenceburg today at this hour? Why are you here? Is it because you have friends here? I mean, I hope you do. Friendship's not enough. I've lived 50 years and friends, unfortunately, sometimes come and go. Are you here for friendships? That's not enough. Are you here because maybe you share some hobbies or you share a job or you share some some class time with with a group of people here like y'all come from UNA or y'all work together, you know, do outages together? That's cool. But what happens when you graduate or you find another job? What I'm telling you is we need something more tangible to hold on to. The reason we show up here, the reason we serve here, the reason we give here, the reason we worship here, the reason we're passionate here is the cause of Christ. He will be the one enduring all time, Alpha and Omega, beginning and in name forever. That's why we're here. And that's why we do what we do. And so if you're here and you're just honest enough to say, either you have disunity in your heart just honest enough to own it or you don't currently have it but you're like pastor i'm standing with you and there's no room in this house for disunity i want you to stand to your feet lawrenceburg i want you to stand to your feet and we're going to pray together i was going to have you hold hands but it's covid and someone will write me a letter (laughs) how many people want to be about the father's business anybody tired of disunity in this world and there's no space for it in this house Father, we come in the name of Jesus and we repent for the hatred we've had in our heart towards our brothers and sisters. We repent that we've allowed it to swell up, that we've communicated it, that we've vomited it on social media. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name that you'll cleanse our hearts, you'll renew our hearts. God, you'll help us to love each other the same way you've loved us. I pray, Jesus, what you pray, that, God, we would have the same unity that you have with the Father. I pray what Paul said, that there be no schisms, no disunity in this house. Lord, make us one voice, one heart, one accord, that even though we have passions and personal preferences, we submit them all to the banner of Jesus. And we thank you, God, what you're going to do in the future through this place, through a people who are unified. In Jesus' name, come on. And everybody who agreed said amen.